Amen. All right, we're in uh, uh, Psalm 119, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 33 through 40. And we started this little series a couple weeks ago, and it's hopefully inspired you to pursue integrity in your life more and more. It's something where you never arrive. You are always uh, growing in this area, as all of us are. But integrity, the word itself, means a state of being whole or undivided. And uh, until we become uh, glorified in in Christ's presence, we will not completely be whole until then. We give up this body and and have our new body and be in his presence. What a glorious day that would be. But I want to read for us uh, Psalm Psalm 119, verses 33 to uh, 40. And then we'll just kind of take our time and, and kind of peruse through these, those verses and hopefully apply what we, we learn. It says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared turn away the reproach that i dread for your rules are good behold i long for your precepts in your righteousness give me life and uh, as we read those verses there's several things in there we'll look at tonight but we really wanted to uh, uh, discuss this aspect of integrity <clears throat> for a couple of weeks because it, we're not just talking about integrity in one certain area of your life, right? As a believer, it's kind of a, uh, integrity across the board, you might say. And so some of us have integrity in certain areas, but we lack integrity in other areas. And what God wants is integrity across the board. And so the way you maintain that in your spiritual life is you have to pursue it. You have to um, apply yourself to this and the principles that we've been looking at. And there's always room for improvement, is there not? In any one of our lives, we never, like I said, we never arrive when we're 100% on the integrity scale. We can't, there's no room for improvement. Uh, Biblical integrity really begins with a willingness to challenge ourselves in every area of life even when it's uncomfortable even when we know that we're not doing well in a certain area Uh, we read the verses last week in verses five and six where the psalmist wrote oh that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes He, he said then he says then i shall not be put to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments and that's really um the plan of pursuing integrity in our lives. Uh, Sometimes it's not always comfortable. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes there are uncomfortable moments as we look at our own uh, failures and faults. But we have to face up to it and we have to press on. And we have to realize that, you know what, things are not always the way that they should be according to Scripture in our own lives. We don't we don't arrive at a certain level of holiness where we don't have to worry about sin anymore. Or we don't have to worry about attitudes or anything like that. 
Um, it's an ongoing battle every day. And when you look at God's standard of holiness, um, God is saying that we should be holy. He commands us, be holy, because I'm holy. Um, and so he's, he's stating this is who you can be, but you know what, that's not who we are. <laughs> One day we will be completely, but right now we're not. And so there's many things, even in the psalmist's life, King David's life, um, that put him to shame. And I'm sure we could all look at our lives and go through our lives and say, yeah, I messed up here, messed up there, and there's a lot of things that we probably are, are shamed over. Um, but it's that self-evaluation, it's that time of, of kind of looking at your own heart and your own life that's a necessary step in the process. And if you're unwilling to do that, you're never going to get to the point of having an increase in integrity. You know, when, when, a, when a coach takes his team to the locker room after they just got devastated and they lost a game. Um, he wants his losing team not to lose again. It, it, there's a goal. that We want to win the next game. And if, if the coach wants his team to start winning games, what do they do? Monday morning usually, or even Sunday night, they go to the locker room and they, what do they do? They review the films. Here's what you did wrong. Here's what this person did wrong. Here's what we did wrong. They have to go through that painful, uh, sometimes embarrassing <laughs> uh, process because, you know what, you can't make adjustments. You can't correct mistakes if you're not willing to look at them and see what they are. That's how you get better, is it not? You, you evaluate yourself. And so the road to integrity, the road to holiness, the road to obedience, all those are pretty much the same. We're describing the same thing. It's a process of evaluating your performance and making necessary adjustments and corrections to our behavior along the way. Um, there's one notable difference, though. It's a big difference, and it's a good difference. What's the difference? Uh, the difference is that you don't have to do this on your own, <laughs> right? I mean, as a Christian, God has given us the Holy Spirit it's not by our own strength that we accomplish this uh, integrity or this holiness. Uh, it's not by our own wisdom that we become Christ-like. And for that, I'm, I'm thankful because if it was left up to me, there'd be no hope at all. Uh, that's what Paul said so much in Galatians chapter 1, verse 20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, right? It's no longer what? I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live, how? By faith. Not by my own power. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And Paul also said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, that it's God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Um, that lets me sleep well at night, to know that God is working in me, that God is working in you, that we don't have to... Um, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just try harder every day and hopefully one day we'll accomplish holiness or we'll accomplish integrity. Um, Paul's saying that he gives you the desires as a Christian to do the right things. That's, that's part of, of committing your life to Christ, is it not? When you commit your life fully to Christ, what happens? A transformation happens. There's a change. 
There's a change in desire. There's a change in behavior. And I used to tell young people all the time, you know what? Yeah, you can go to camp till the cows come home and come back and say, oh yeah, you know, I raised my hand, I threw a stick in the fire, I walked the aisle, I did all this. And my answer was always the same to them. No Jesus, no change. No change, no Jesus. It's that simple. You know, it, you don't want to be the people in Matthew 7. But Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? They, they think they've self-deceived themselves into believing that they're his followers. And what he does, he says, I don't even know who you are. Uh, we don't want to be in that point, in that, in that place. So he gives us the power. He gives us the wisdom. He gives us the ability to do the right thing, to make the right decisions. And so what's our role in this process? I'm not saying we just sit back and do nothing. What do you, what do you have to do? You have to show up. You have to present yourself to him. You have to be willing to follow through on what he may call you to do uh, to the best of your ability, even though you feel you can't do it. Um, that's, that's what the Lord desires from us. There's a sense in which the pursuit of integrity is our responsibility. We don't just go to bed one night and wake up the next morning having integrity. It takes us to pursue it. Uh, but there's also a sense that you, know, you, you can do everything you can possible to make it happen, but there's also a sense in which the pursuit of integrity is placed ultimately in whose hands? God's hands. Because he's going to take you through that process to become that person of integrity. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that accomplishes it through us. There's, there's one commentator who said this. He said, if you do everything you can, God will do everything you can't. If you do everything you can, God will do everything you can't. And see, so many times people don't want to do anything. And sometimes even our theology leads us to that. We end up in this fatalistic position where we think, oh, God's, you know, got everything worked out. We don't need to pray. We don't need to do anything because it's all God's so sovereign. We don't No, That's not true. He, he elicits our participation in this process. And so across the board of integrity, uh, that only happens really as an answer to prayer. You can only have that integrity that we're talking about. You might be able to accomplish one or two, maybe three areas. You know, maybe you balance your checkbook and maybe you have a good relationship with people at work or whatever. But to have integrity across the board, um, you need God's help. And that's the only way it's going to be accomplished. And the good news is that he, he promised <laughs> to help us through this. He promised to do it. He's promised to conform us to the image of who? His son, right? To help us become more and more like Christ each and every day if we're willing to yield ourselves to him every day. And so we have to, we have to participate. We have to be um, willing to go along with this program that God's laid out for us. And so David here in this Psalm 119, he suggests this approach to integrity. He talks about seven things here in our text that we're going to look at that are necessary for a person of integrity. And you can call it an integrity list, you might say. And he presents every item on the list to God as a request. Um, basically, he's saying, God, help me be this kind of person. And he lists a quality. Help me, God, God be this kind of person. <clears throat> Today, we're going to look at, at seven of these. And so, 
Um, you can call it an integrity checklist or whatever you want, but in order to have integrity work in your life across every area, these are the qualities, I think, that God wants you to develop through his help. And so the first one here, first of all, pray that God will give you understanding. Look at what he says in verses 33 and 34. He says, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will keep them. So right out of the box, he's asking the Lord for assistance. Teach me. You know, you have to be teachable. If you're not teachable, you're not going to go far in the Christian life. You're not going to go far in life. You know, nobody wants to talk to somebody who knows, thinks they know everything about everything. You know, I run from people like that. Um, and, and so it's, it's important to, when you're trying to share with someone, a concept or a teaching or whatever, that they're willing to be taught. And, and we need to be teachable in our own lives. And so he cries out to the Lord. He says, teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me, he says, understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my heart. Um, there are some laws on the books that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. And some of them are kind of comical. I looked up, every state has weird laws but you can go online and look these up yourselves. But uh, some of these laws were made many, many years ago, and they were eventually just forgotten about, but they're still on the books. And, um, for example, in Alaska, it's illegal to wake up a bear to take its photograph. It's still on the books. Um, It's not against the law to take the picture of the bear while he's sleeping. Just don't wake him up. As a matter of fact, you can even... Shoot the bear while he's sleeping, <laughs> if you want. Uh, you can wake him up and then shoot him. But you can't take a picture while he's sleeping. You can't wake him up and take a picture. It's just kind of weird. In Logan County, Colorado, there's a law against the husband to kiss his wife while she's sleeping. It's okay to take her picture while she's sleeping, but you can't kiss her. Weird. I mean, who would, um, there's probably a good reason for that somewhere along the road. I I don't know. Um, In Connecticut, it's against the law to kiss your wife on Sunday, whether she's asleep or awake. Massachusetts, for some reason, has a bunch of weird ones. In Boston, this is still on the books, duels, you know, when people shoot it out, Duels can be carried out to death on Sunday as long as the governor is present. (laughs) The governor's there to watch. You can kill each other, you know. Um, But there's also this law in Boston. It's weird in Massachusetts. It's illegal to take a lion to the movies. Or this one. At a wake or a funeral, mourners may eat no more than three sandwiches. And also, there's no gorillas that are allowed in the backseat of cars. And you can't wear a goatee in Massachusetts without a permit. These are actual laws that are on the books. These are not like, I didn't make these up. Um, This one really bothered me. In Boston, I don't think I'm going to go to Boston anytime. It's illegal to take a bath unless you've been ordered to do so by a physician. It's a law on the books. In Louisiana, it's against the law to gargle in public. In Minnesota, it's against the law to tease a skunk. I mean, that one kind of makes sense. I don't know if it would be a good idea to tease a skunk. 
But all these laws, these weird laws, were put on the books for, for some weird reason, probably a good reason. I mean, you know, the law in Alaska about waking up the bear was probably made for people's protection, right? That makes sense because bears frequently wake up in a bad mood. Maybe that's why the Colorado law <laughs> about kissing your wife while she's asleep, I, who knows? But, you know, maybe there's some connection there. But these seem arbitrary. These seem, they don't make any sense to us. But you know what? There probably was a good reason for all those laws being in place at one point. And, and sometimes when, you know, we're raising a family, we come up with family rules, and, and some of the family rules can be kind of silly. And usually we end up, kids are younger, and they ask why. Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to do that? And as you know, a parent, we've all said this line, because I said so, that's why. And we don't give them an explanation. And sometimes that's all it takes. You know, uh, it, it just takes an explanation. Here's why I want you to do this. And you, you make and you enforce rules in your household because it's why. It's good for the children. It's good for the family. There's a reason behind it. You don't just say, you know what, because I said so. Um, God's not that kind of God. God's not the God who just says, well, because I said so, that's why. We can go to God and we can ask because none of his laws are silly. None of them are arbitrary. None of them just make no sense whatsoever. There's a reason behind each one. And I can guarantee you in case, each case it's good for us to follow God's law for our own good and for the good of others. And so David, right off the bat, he says, give me understanding, Lord, concerning your laws, concerning your commands. Because the better I understand what your word says, the better I am to obey it. And so many times people want Christianity to be this box little thing where you just open the box and, okay, you do, 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 do this and, and, and everything's nice and neat. It's not that way. You have to grapple with these things. You have to kind of come to an understanding. And, and you need the Lord's assistance to do that. And, that. and that comes to us through what? Through his word. That's why we teach his word. That's why we focus our time in his word. Um, I was talking to my, I wasn't talking, I was texting with my grandson last night about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, and he had a question, why are there different degrees of punishment in hell? He says, if it's for all eternity, what's the difference? And so we began, you know, go back and forth, and, and I kept on feeding him scriptures. And I said, look, and he said, you know, at one point he says, yeah, I just don't understand it. And I said, yeah, that's like half the Bible. I don't understand it either, but it's by faith. Because God said it, you, you, you have to believe it. And you take it by faith. And so that's the first thing. We want God to give it, give us understanding when he does, but sometimes he may not. Sometimes he may just leave us out there hanging. And that's okay, because he's God and we're not. And so we have this understanding. Secondly, he brought up the, the idea of consistency. Look at what he says in verse 35. He says, help me stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. Um, he's asking God to keep him on the path. Being consistent in our Christian life is probably a very foundation of having any integrity at all in our lives, is it not, before the Lord? 
I mean, think about it. We've all been on that spiritual roller coaster. You know, we go to some retreat and we come back and we're all jacked up spiritually. And, you know, yeah, I'm going to read through the Bible every day for the next 24 days. You know, and we get to about day three and uh, it kind of just dies off, right? Um, there's no consistency. Maybe even the desire is there, but there's no consistency. You know, if you talk to any personal trainer at all, one of the key things they're going to tell you, no matter what program it is, is consistency. Continue to do it. Continue to do whatever exercise or whatever you're doing uh, consistently. If you don't do it consistently, it's not going to have any effect. And I, I think it, it has to do with our health. It has to do with our finances. It has to do with our spiritual walk with the Lord. And, and the Bible warns us about inconsistency, right? I mean, sometimes people grow <coughs> inconsistent in their church attendance. And what does Hebrews say? Don't forsake, right? The assembling of yourselves together. Don't do that. As is the what? The habit of some, it says. You know, it's very easy if you miss one Sunday, the next Sunday to miss that Sunday. And then, boy, it just goes downhill after that. Pretty soon you miss four Sundays in a row. You don't even realize it. Um, consistency is the bedrock for having integrity. It has to be like clockwork. Um, Spiritual growth, spiritual power are the result of having some form of daily spiritual disciplines in your life. However that looks is up to you. Okay? Um, some people try to, try to dictate how that looks. Well, you have to do it in the morning. You have to do your devotions in the morning at 4 a.m. or whatever. You can do them anytime you want. But you have to be consistent. You know, you have your time of prayer, you have your time of Bible study, you have your time of fellowship, worship, service. All those things are important, but they have to have consistency to them. If you come to church once a year for worship, that's not being consistent. That's not going to help you much. All right? Or if you're in Bible study, you're praying, you know, once in a while. Um, and a lot of us as, as Christians have gone through that process of bouncing from one high spiritual high to the next you know one retreat one conference whatever and you know it just goes on and on and on and and pretty soon after a little bit of time you grow cold again and you're back right at the beginning and nothing's changed um, the lack of spiritual consistency limits you from really experiencing what god's blessing in your life he wants to bless you he wants you to grow he wants you to have a, a sense of of closeness with him and when you're not consistent, what David is saying is that it limits you in, in being a blessing, not only God being a blessing to you, but you being a blessing to others. Um, because you can't, <laughs> it's hard to fake consistency, is it not? I mean, if, if you're here every Wednesday night, then you're consistent. But you can't fake that. You know, if you're not here every Wednesday night, you can't say, well, yeah, I'm there every Wednesday night. <laughs> you, you can't get, get away with that. Uh, the only way to develop consistency is to consistently do the same thing, the right thing, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, even decade after decade, and create that godly habit in your life. Um, no matter what your spiritual progress, your spiritual growth has looked like up to this point, it's never too late to start being more consistent. And so, you know what? Pick an area where you're inconsistent. 
Maybe you can't do it all at the same time, obviously. But pick an area where you're struggling with consistency, uh, a spiritual discipline in your life. Maybe it's prayer, maybe it's Bible study, um, maybe it's fellowship, whatever it is. But pick that area and say, you know what, I'm going to work on this area. Lord, help me this week to, to be more consistent in this area. And do it for seven days. And usually at the end of seven days, you'll see how it feels. Because developing consistency isn't easy. But once you do, it, it really benefits you. Um, because the truth is, like I said, you never arrive. We're never going to completely be consistent in our, our Christian walk each and every day. But every day, you have to go at it again. Um, because if you don't, there's no integrity without consistency, that's for sure. Um, and so he says, help me stay on the path of your commands. And then he says, for I take pleasure in it. You know, once you, once you get into that godly habit, there's actually pleasure involved in that. It, it makes you feel good. As a matter of fact, you know, if I break out of a routine that I've established, I, I don't feel good about the day. You know, something's off. And, and it's, it's a good thing to, to have that check. Well, the third thing here, we need to pray for that God will give us contentment. Contentment. Look at what he says in verse 36. He says, Turn my heart to your decrees and not to material gain. Um, turn my heart to your decree or incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, is what the ESV says. Um, one philosopher said, we are not rich by what we possess, but by what we can do without. Think about that. We're not rich by what we possess, but by what we can do without. Um, when there exists something that you can't do without, usually your integrity could be at risk. Um, if you're more motivated to accumulate things than to be used of God, then what? Your, your integrity will always be at, at, at risk. Um, I think it was Chuck Swindoll said, there's, there's nothing wrong with owning things, but the question is whether those things own you. You know, are you able to release things? Um, and we all have issues with things like that, but um, there's nothing wrong with owning things, nice things even. <clears throat> but when that thing owns you, uh, that's when there's a, there's a danger sign there. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, he pointed this out. He says, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Can we say that in our own hearts? You know what? I'm going to be content, whatever the circumstances. You know what? I can't say that, honestly. I mean, I, I'm very uncontent in certain circumstances. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, he says. And he says he learned it. It was a process. He just didn't wake up with this, you know, in his life. It was a, God put him through the mill. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Verse 13, he says, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. And that's what David's asking for. David's saying, God, give me that kind of contentment. Um, take away the desire 
for these silly material things. Help me to focus on you because you know what? You're all I need. You're all I need. We should be praying daily that God would give us contentment, especially this time of year. Right? I mean, we're, we're, we're so apt to be you know, marketed to death and we got to buy everybody everything. And there's some joy in that, but at the same time, you know, are we content uh, with what God has already given to us? Next thing here, fourth, fourthly, pray that God will give you discernment. This is important. He says in verse 37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Um, have you ever invested time in or had a goal that you pursued or, or something? You know, you, you just made it bigger in life. And you put all this time and money and effort into it. And, and, and you look back on it now and it was basically a waste of time. It was a waste of effort. Nothing ever came of it. But when you were doing it, it you just seemed like, oh, this is going to be big. This is going to be worth it. Um, see, I'm not talking about worthy goals here. That, that falls short of the mark. I'm talking about foolish pursuits. And we've all had foolish pursuits in our life at one point or another. Maybe we got into a relationship we shouldn't have gotten into. Maybe we, we spent money that we should never have spent. Maybe we're chasing after things that we should never have chased. All those things would be foolish in hindsight, but we don't see it when we're doing it. I mean, think how much better it would be if you could see beforehand <laughs> the red flags. And David says here, in effect, Lord, when a road leads to nowhere, help me recognize it before I get on that road. Give me the discernment. I like how he says, turn my eyes from looking. That's where it starts, does it not? I mean, just go shopping with your wife in the mall or with any woman, therefore, in in the mall or anywhere else. And, you know, you're walking along and all of a sudden they stop and they're looking at a window. And they stop and they see something in the window. It catches their eye. Pretty soon, what happens? They're in the store. They're talking to the clerk. Pretty soon, they're sitting in a chair. The clerk's putting the shoe on their foot. And, and, you know, it just leads one thing after another. That's kind of what, what David is recognizing here. He says, you know what? Help my eyes be guarded. Turn my eyes, Lord, because I can't do it. Turn my eyes from looking. Um, when you're willing to look and, and ponder and, and spend time looking at worthless things, it's, it's really, you're, you're easy, easily fooled um, into thinking that, you know what, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I really do need that. Um, that's why if you've ever entertained a salesman or an investment person that's trying to sell you insurance or anything like that, they always, at some point in the, in the presentation, they'll always say this, you don't have to decide today. You don't have to decide today. Just, just come in and, and we'll listen to our presentation. You know when you, you sign up for those vacation things, right? Hey, three nights free, just listen to the 90-minute video and we'll give you a free breakfast. You know what's going to happen. You know what it's going to be like. You're, they're going to pressure you. Even though they say, oh, no, don't worry about it. Um, just come and listen to the presentation. Just imagine what it'd be like to have this vacation spot or this return on your money or whatever. Um, 
and they keep you looking at it long enough. And before you know it, they got you. That's what happens. And so you need to have discernment as part of our integrity. We need to be able to recognize beforehand that road doesn't lead anywhere. This isn't a good idea. I don't want to get on this road. Fifth thing here that we need to pray and ask the Lord for is reassurance. Look at what he says in verse 38. He says, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. One translation says, confirm what you said to your servant, for it produces reverence for you. Um, Sometimes we just need to be reminded in our Christian walks, you know what, we are moving in the right direction. Yeah, it may be a little bumpy. We may not be exactly where we need to be, but we're going in the right direction. Uh, You know, whenever I'm traveling somewhere in a car, driving, I appreciate good road signs, good reminders along the way. You know, um, if I'm on my way to to Disneyland or something like that, I I like to see the sign, you know, L.A., you know, miles or whatever. I I know there's there's a point in time when I'll actually get there. When you're navigating through heavy traffic, it's good to be assured every now and then that you're on the right path, that you're not on this road that's not taking you where you want to go. And you need that same kind of assurance, I think, spiritually in our own, in our own lives. Uh, we, we need to be reminded of that. And this is what King David asked for here. He says, I ask God to confirm for me again and again and again so that I will never lose sight of where you are leading me. And the more I'm reminded of all that God has done, the more you're reminded of all that God has done for you, what happens? The more you want to worship him, the more you realize that, wow, this is a process. I am on the right path. I am heading in the right direction. Yeah, it's been difficult. It's been hard. It hasn't been perfect. But you know what? I know God's on my side. And you you ask God for reassurance. Nobody wants to end up, you know, at the end of the road, at a dead end. How did we get here? And, and we're, we're assured that God will give us that reassurance. The next thing, and that leads to the next thing, actually, victory. Look at verse 39. He says, turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Turn away the disgrace or reproach that I dread. Your judgments are good, he says. Um, the New Living Translation says this, help me abandon my shameful ways. Uh, It gives insight what our attitude should be toward our sinful behavior. You know, just because our sins are forgiven, it doesn't mean that we should just not worry about our sins. Some Christians think, yeah, you know what, yeah, God forgave my sins, so I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's not what we're called to do. David talks here about turning away from the, the disgrace that he dreads is what he's saying the sin that he's seen in his life, the shameful ways that he's seen in his life. He says, you know what? Help me turn away from that. I don't want to entertain that. Um, and that tells us something. If, if sin is something you've come to dread in your life, you're making progress on the road to integrity. It's helping you. On the other hand, 
If there's still something that you anticipate, something you treasure, and something that you fondly remember um, that's sinful and you're pining after that, then you've got some praying to do. You've got to ask God to give you a real uh, disdain for your sinfulness. Um, Because God can't give you victory over your sin until you have the right attitude about your sin. If there's still something you anticipate, something that's still, you know, attractive about sin, and sin is attractive. I mean, Satan's not stupid. But the idea of falling into sin and dis- disshaming the Lord, you know, should, should bring a certain fear, a certain reproach in our hearts, a certain dread of that. And sometimes, you know, because we live in the age of grace and because God has forgiven us, so many times we sin. And you know what? We're not ashamed at all, to be honest. We're not ashamed at all. Yeah, I gossip a little bit. Well, nobody's perfect. You know, I fly off the handle now and then. Well, that's just how I am. You know, we make excuses for our sin. It's only human, whatever. whatever. And until we really learn to... Uh, have this dread over our sin and disgrace for our sin, distaste for our sin, we're not going to be able to begin to walk on the path to victory. You know, when we had the Christmas dinner, Ken made that prime rib that was so good and we were cleaning up afterwards and on his cutting board, he had, you know, some scraps and stuff and I was cleaning his cutting board. So I carried it into the kitchen and I thought there was a piece of meat thought it was a piece of meat. I wasn't really paying attention, right? And I took what was on the cutting board and I put it in my mouth and I took a big bite. Well, it was cold fat. Just a big gross piece of cold fat. And it was disgusting. <laughs> totally disgusting. You know, um, and, 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 and it, it gave me kind of almost a distaste for any more meat that night. It was just like, ugh. You know, that's what sin should be to us. Uh, We can't lose sight of that. But God will give us victory. He always does uh, when we rely on him. And then the last thing here, endurance. This is one thing that we we all need in our Christian lives. He says in verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. The NIV says, Preserve my life in your righteousness. See, there's there's a difference, a big difference, really, between perseverance and preservation. There's a difference between perseverance and preservation. I mean, we strive to persevere. We're, we're told to persevere. We believe in the perseverance of the saints. What's that mean? It means you stay in the battle. You stay until the very end. You don't check out. You don't run home. But the only way that I can persevere in my Christian life is what? If God preserves me. We sing that, that song, that chorus, he will hold me fast. And that's so true. Because if he doesn't, we'd be utterly lost. Uh, we need to hang on to him, and we need for him to hang on to us. There's a, there's a perseverance on our part, but there's also a preservation that God accomplishes through Christ in our lives. Because our lives would be absolutely nothing without him. And so we need his life flowing 
through us. And so we pray, God, pour your, your spirit into me. Live through me. Um, you know, help me to be a, a good testimony. Help me to have integrity in my life. And biblical integrity, like I said, is not just in one area. It's across the board. And the only way we can have it is by asking the Lord to really to, to, to perform that in us and through us. It's not something you accomplish on your own. You'll need God's help along the way. Um, it's more than just how people perceive you. That's what we think of when we think of integrity. Or what are people thinking of us? It goes much deeper than that. It goes down to the very, the, the very core of who you are, really. And so, because integrity is a partnership between you and God, it's, it's possible to have integrity uh, before the Lord and before others. And as you seek Him, as you study His Word, as He teaches you what integrity is, and He inspires you to move more and more into that area, um, he empowers you through the Spirit to experience it as well. And so every day, every day we face, we have to open His Word, to hear His voice. We ask Him to give us what it takes to live a life across um, this board of integrity so that people can see Christ in us uh, for His glory.